Hello, and welcome in to the July 5th edition of Not Just Another Sports Podcast, brought to you by Arrowhead Live. We are first recovering from the 4th of July festivities. Christian, how was your 4th of July? Uh, it was really good. We, uh, Me and my family just kind of hung out over the weekend. We have a yearly trip to Colorado that most of my family is in right now, so we just kind of sat at home and watched the fireworks. What about you, man? Yeah, I'll be honest. We had all these plants that I talked about last time, and they kind of end up falling through. But in some ways, it was kind of uh, like a blessing in disguise. Sometimes the best plans you make are the one, or the best plans are the ones you don't make. But we we had some fun with some friends. We went over to their house. Um, and we went for a nice walk. We have this park that's nearby our house. It's kind of funny. Allison and I knew it was really long, and we started walking down it. And we're like, oh. Well, we know it's a big loop. We'll just come out on the other side. We've got lots of time. We can start walking. We are two and a half miles in, and we still see no end in sight in this trail. Turns out we eventually turned around and just retraced our steps. The trail is over 20 miles long, and we were just going to like keep going. Oh, my going. gosh. Thankfully, <laughs> our son was asleep in the stroller. But um, thankfully, we did not walk the 20-mile trail. But it was a good, it was a good fourth. We enjoyed watching our neighbors spend thousands of dollars on fireworks so they could show them to us for free. So overall it was good though. Yeah. That's about how my neighbors are too, man. They, they go all out. They spend money on the mortars and, and the, you know, the bottle rockets and everything. And we're in the middle of town, but it's kind of a smaller town. So nobody's really, you know, super, super mad about it. And they yeah, shoot I mean, them off. I'm not, I'm not going to be the person to judge people for having a huge fireworks display. I'm just not in the point in my life that it really matters to me. Like when our son gets a little bit older, can start making some more memories around it. I'll probably be much more likely to, uh, to do a big display. But at this time, it's just not really, not really fiscally worth it for me. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially because they've gotten so expensive. I mean, that's kind of like an old fuddy-duddy thing to say. Like, oh, back in my day. You know, fireworks didn't cost five dollars a bottle rocket, but that's kind of how it is. I remember growing up and buying a pack of bottle rockets for like seven bucks and shooting them off with my grandparents and awesome memories, but not anymore. It doesn't really do it for me. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I think we've got some pretty good topics for you guys to talk about um, in the spirit of the off season and kind of the slowest time of the year for sports. We will do a top 10 ranking. Um we're going to go through piece by piece and go over our top 10 NFL head coaches. Um, the criteria that we selected was we looked for coaches as they currently sit, not, um, not their past accolades. So this isn't a legends list. This also is a list that considers the future outlook as well. So we're not just looking at this year in a vacuum. We're looking at the, the outlook of the future. And lastly, there are a couple of coaches that have some GM duties as well. We're not necessarily going to, into them as talent evaluators. So just because this guy is not a good drafter, we're not necessarily going over that as well. So what we're going to do is we're just going to go kind of one by one and kind of talk about who we have and why. We won't get super into, oh, why is this person at three and this person at four? But we'll just kind of talk about some of the bigger ones. So Christian, do you want to start at 10 and go up or go from one down to 10? I say we go 10 to one. Okay. It seems what? like a build suspense. I think it's the most theatrical way to go about it. For sure. For sure. Okay. So who do you have at 10? I have, and this is 
based on the outlook of the future, Arthur Smith, who is now the head coach of the Falcons. So he was the offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans and transforming their quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, into one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the league is incredible. I think that's 90% due to <clears throat> Arthur Smith. Um, and I believe that he can, you know, lead a football team to the playoffs, especially one with all of the offensive talent that Atlanta has. So what about you? Who's your number I, set? I think that's super bold. I, uh, I, I can't go there quite yet. I, I agree with you that I think Arthur Smith was probably more of what was driving the Tennessee Titans to the success that they've had the past couple of years. And I think that it's going to be an interesting year without him being there in Tennessee, but I don't know if I can put him at 10, not seeing anything. And I hate saying that because he could very well, I mean, who knows in two or three years, we could be talking about him going to three straight Super Bowls. We have no idea. Right. But I don't know if I can go that high with him. Um, especially cause we just haven't seen it. And I know that that's, that's hard, but also just like we can't rank him at 10 or I, I personally wouldn't put him at 10. I also can't put him, put him at 32 cause I've not seen him be awful either. It's just, you know, a lack yeah. of evidence, but I do agree with you that I think that of the coaching hires, I think him and Brandon, Brendan Staley are probably the two that I have the highest outlook on. Um, my number 10 is Kyle Shanahan. Um, and it feels weird putting him there because I think he's probably a top two offensive mind in the game. And I think that he's one of those guys that can win almost anywhere he goes. But I wasn't able to put him up as high as some of these other players or other coaches because he doesn't have some of the accolades that some of these other guys have. And also he has kind of shown the propensity to I hate saying this because it sounds like screaming a Smith or something stupid like that, but he has kind of struggled in some of the bigger games. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I have him fairly, I don't know, high or low, depending on how you view the list, pretty close to 10. Um, I think, I think my thoughts on Kyle Shanahan kind of leads into the next one. And that's Sean McVay. I have Sean McVay at nine and I really struggled with these two guys because when you look at them, there's really not a whole lot of difference between them. Sean McVay has been to one Super Bowl as a head coach with Jared Goff. Kyle Shanahan has been to one Super Bowl with Jimmy G. They both run a run-heavy scheme or play-action-heavy scheme that can, like, elevate those lower-level quarterbacks. But they've also never really – I mean, we're going to get a look of what um, – what McVay's system looks like with Stafford. But at this point, we don't really know what they can do with those higher level talents. You know, is their offense one of those that really just puts the shine on a bad quarterback or is a good quarterback going to truly lift them to elite status? I had to put McVay over Shanahan simply because we've not seen McVay um, blow a massive lead like Shanahan did as an offensive coordinator and also did in the Super Bowl. Um, I don't, obviously I'm not so dumb to think that he is the sole reason why those teams lost, but there is a connection there. So for me, I've got McVay at nine. What about you? So this is why I like doing this podcast with you because I feel like we think very much alike and I have Sean McVay right above Kyle Shannon as well, but that's not my number nine, but I just wanted to put that out there that this is really fun and I'm having a good time. Well, yeah, <laughs> number, it makes number, sense, right? 
yeah i that's your way of thinking is exactly how i thought of it as well uh number nine i have sean payton uh the saints head coach you know his his teams are always in the playoffs no matter who he has um he can utilize guys like Alvin Kamara in the offense. Um, he's a great play caller, great, great offensive innovator. And despite kind of his recent struggles in the postseason, I think he deserves to be a top 10, top 10 coach. See, I, I thought I was going to be low on Sean Payton, but I respect how low you are on Sean Payton. I really do. Because <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like he has had the benefit of having – Drew Brees his whole career and you know I think there's just a lot of goofy things that Sean Payton does that I think get a lot like oh my god they're pulling their Hall of Fame quarterback off the field for a glorified fullback punter oh the, the yeah genius, the yeah. genius I mean I I don't think that it all boils down to that I do think he's a good offensive mind but other than the Super Bowl run that they've had there's a lot of playoff losses up there for him now there's a lot of division titles and other things too but yeah McVeigh, i think i think or not McVeigh, excuse me uh peyton i think it's fair i think that's fair at nine um my number eight this one this one i think is probably the most impacted by recency bias and that's going to be bruce arians um i think that bruce arians i mean obviously he did have that super bowl run with the cardinals but i think that He's a good coach. He, I, one of the things that I really admire about him um, is he was really committed to creating a very diverse staff, which I think is really cool, especially considering that, you know, football is a sport that's kind of reluctant to change in some ways. Um, I think one of the biggest things that led the Bucks to winning the Super Bowl was Bruce Arians giving up the reins and kind of going to more of Tom Brady's offense. Arians has a style of offense that he ran with Winston and other players, but him being willing to change and adapt and accept that. Um, I think that was a big part of why they wound up where they are. And I think that takes a good coach to do that. And, you know, obviously we probably wouldn't be having him at eight if it wasn't for a Super Bowl ring, but rings matter. I mean, that's just, that's just plain and simple. What about you? So I would say that you have him way too high. Like he is notorious for having extremely complicated offenses that up until recently, you know, haven't really worked out. I mean, Jameis Winston, didn't he throw, wasn't it like 50 and 30 or something insane? Like 30 it was a 30 and 30, and 30 season, but I mean, yeah. you've got to also remember that this kind of comes into one of those, like, at what point does the coach stop mattering and the players start mattering? I mean, you can argue that, Arian system is too complex or didn't compliment Jameis enough to do those things. But I mean, if you go and look back at some of the position players and how they did that year, that team finished eight and eight. The Bucks did even with Jameis throwing 30 interceptions. I mean, you could even look at it and say, despite that Arians did, did really well. I mean, I I'm definitely open to the idea that I might have him too high. And that, like I said, it's just recency bias, but I, I think He's, I think he's a strong motivator. I mean, he, even though it super annoys Chiefs fans, the stuff that he says at the stand after the game and all that, I, I think that, I think that he's a strong motivator. I think he's a good scheme guy. Um, you know, he's taken two franchises that have been historically bad in the Cardinals and the Bucks to Super Bowls. I think he's got to be in the 10. So the, the only thing, and we'll move on after I say this, but like, 
<clears throat> I would, I would say that part of being a good coach is knowing your players and, and playing to their strengths, right? We had a, a defensive coordinator in Kansas city, you know, not too long ago who refused to put people in situations that would allow them to take advantage of their skill set, And you can see where that put them. They were at the bottom two or three defense every single year. So I would say that putting your players in a position to win is what makes a really good head coach. And that really transitions to my number eight, which is Kevin Stefanski. Now, I don't know if you watched the Browns um, before he showed up, but Baker Mayfield was not a good quarterback. And one of the reasons for that is that he requires a lot of play action passes and a strong run game to kind of support him. And that's exactly what Kevin Stefanski did. He said, you know what? I, we know what Baker Mayfield is. He, he really excels whenever he's running play action passes and we, we rely heavily on the run game. So I'm going to build up that offensive line. I'm going to use uh, the best running back duo in possibly NFL history to, to run the ball down their throats. And then we're going to use him to his skill set. And that's what he did. And they got him to the divisional game this past year. And I think their outlook in the future is incredible. I mean, I really like the Browns going into this next couple seasons. Well, um, I, I think, I, I think you're totally justified in putting him where you have him. Um, Stefanski full disclosure is outside of my 10, but he's 11. Um, I think he showed a lot in coming in in his first year and how successful the offense was incorporating some pieces that don't really necessarily always fit together. You know, we, I think that's one thing that we overlook a lot. We, we think it's Madden and that you can just throw talent on the field and it's all going to work together. But between using Beckham and Jarvis and Austin Hooper and two running backs and the systems that they have, I think complement all their players pretty well. Um, you know, I, obviously it's just been one season and it's always a little hard to tell in just one season with a coach. But like I said, I think, I think that that's a good take. And I think, you know, in a year here, we could be looking at him being in the five top five even. Oh yeah. Well, and how he's implemented like Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, it's like, you know, being a fantasy football guy, you can see it like Kareem Hunt is going to get a lot of catches and that's not because he can only catch the football. It's because the scheme allows him to come in and be that kind of third down running back where he can, you know, use his skill set that, that helps him. And Nick Chubb is going to get the majority of the touches because he's a better runner overall. And speaking of the run game, my number seven, Kyle Shanahan, one of the best run games in football. Like he's completely transformed how offensive coordinators are seeing the game. I mean, like his, some of his run schemes are just so next level that, that when I go back and I look over them, it's, it's like, oh, he has a guard pulling, um, but the, the tight end is moving across the formation. That, that, that doesn't make any sense, or at least that's not how it used to make sense. Like, now, now that's all thrown out the window because he's such, he's such a good uh, offensive, you know, game plan, schematic type of guy. Um, I Agreed. Think yeah. Shanahan, yeah, Shanahan's one of those guys that, like, the offense – it could be third down and 10 and like everything in the world screams that the team's going to pass and he might just run. And he oh might yeah. Well, and he, he's so good at, at the play calling aspect of it. People call him an offensive genius. And I think that's partially true, 
And I think that kind of gets in his own head. I mean, that's obviously you can call the, the blunders that he's had in the Super Bowl and uh, in a bunch of other games, being the offensive coordinator or the head coach of losing leads. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I, I think that injuries, though, have played kind of a really big role in, in the success of his team. Like, look at the 49ers last year. They were supposed to be, hey, we're going to come back. We're running it back. You know, George Kittle's on the sidelines. I'll be back with a vengeance. And then, oh, he gets injured. And their quarterback gets injured. And half their defense gets injured. And it's kind of oh, hard we, to yeah, go. Yeah, I mean, I think I think what you're talking about a little bit is kind of the uh, butterfly flaps its wings effect. You know, like I got I got an iced coffee this morning and I had a fantastic day. Was it because of the iced coffee or was it other factors, right? You know, yeah, no, yeah. no one factor is directly responsible for those blown leads. It was a lot of things, but... Um, you know, Shane, there's enough, there's enough um, evidence there to say that there might be a correlation for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and injuries. I mean, like, I don't think you could blame this past season them going six and 10 on Kyle Shanahan being a bad offense or being a bad head coach. I think that you can blame it on, oh, they had a quarterback who wasn't incredibly good to begin with and he got injured and they had the number two tight end of the NFL, but he also got injured. Like, there are so many injuries across that team that I don't think you can necessarily measure his success on what his record says. Agreed. All right. So um, my seven is Mike Tomlin. Um, I think Mike Tomlin is probably the best motivator or one of the best motivators in the NFL. He is a football coach through and through. He is, um, you know, he is spiritual in the sense of he, motivates players using, um, you know, morale and he speaks so well at the microphone and he is not one of those coaches that is necessarily super involved on the offense or the defense. And I do like that about him as far as a coach. And I admire that about some other coaches that they are not just that offensive or offensive or defensive mind. Um, Tomlin, all he's ever done is never had a losing season as the Steelers coach which I know seems easy whenever you consider they have a Hall of Fame quarterback and it's an excellent, excellent run organization. But I think two years ago when, you know, he was going eight and eight with Duck Hodges at quarterback, Tomlin, I feels like, I feel like does not get enough credit for how good of a coach he is, how well he manages personalities considering, I mean, I think we can all agree looking back from a couple of years ago, having a locker room with Juju Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, and Big Ben. He managed that and made it look good. He took that to an AFC championship. I mean, they didn't win, but looking back, that's kind of crazy to think that he managed all that. Those were some serious uh, serious personalities he had to manage. Oh, and yeah, no kidding. But I think that that, as far as your list goes so far, I'd say up until this point, I have really liked it. I think that is way too low for Mike Tomlin. You're not yeah. going to like my list if, if, uh, if Mike Tomlin's at seven. <laughs> well, I, part of the reason why my question when I made this list was how do I, what coaches do I feel like are the most successful and have the biggest impact on the game? And like I said, I view Tomlin as a motivator. Um, and I think he does a lot of really great things, but I also think it's completely possible that you could replace Mike Tomlin with someone else in the, Steelers would do just as well. 
I think part of that is is because he's put good people in place, and I think that's what good coaches do is they build great staffs, and then people hire that great staff away. But I don't know, and you know, all all this can just be blanketed with we've never been on an NFL roster. We don't know. We we don't know yes. what it means to yeah. be a head coach. All we can do is guess. So all this is just talking about guessing in a sense. But um, yeah, I I mean I still love Tom. I still think he's a great coach. But I, I question my only drawback in putting him in like the top five is just I question how much impact he has on a game in game situation. See, and that would be the only question I would have as well. Um, obviously, everybody knows that he's a great, you know, what, what is that called? A players coach. Yeah. He's one of the best players coaches in the league. Like he always keeps his, his people in line. But there are other coaches that do that as well. Um, that you know are a little bit better and have a, a greater effect on the game i guess so no i and, i kind of get it now but yeah who do you have at six uh sean mcveigh so like you sean mcveigh just a little bit ahead of kyle shanahan um you know we can we can say that this is just a head coaching thing but at least for me a, a little bit of roster building is built into that i tried to stay away from that as much as i could but Sean McVay has assembled an incredibly talented team in, you know, in their Rams team this year. Like, I don't know, the defensive side of the ball has always been great. And the offensive side, they just got a brand new quarterback that should unlock the rest of, you know, of his offense. He's a great play caller. He's, de he's dealt with inconsistent quarterback play. And I think I heard this at one point in time. He was basically calling the offense from the head coaching spot, yeah, like telling. Audibles. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm sure a lot of coaches do and you just don't hear about it. But when, when you have a Jared Goff, who I believe was the first overall pick, like he, you should be, you sh he should be able to do that. Instead you have a guy standing on the sideline going, Hey, uh, the safety's back or this looks like cover three and it's really covered. It's a cover three shell, but it's cover two. Like there's a whole bunch of different things. And he's calling all of that from the sidelines. Like that to me is just incredible. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I think, I think that's a solid take there. Um, okay. So at my six, I have Sean Payton. We don't really need to kind of go down the Sean Payton path because I know you've already ranked him, but um, you know, Payton's, you know, got a Super Bowl. I do think he's a good offensive mind. Um, I question some of the decisions they make. And I think, you know, kind of like with some of the other coaches on this list, I think there's going to be a big year for his overall legacy as a coach. Um, so yeah, Sean Payton's my number six. Who do you have at five? So I have Sean McDermott, the head coach of the Buffalo Bills. Um, like his ability to run the ball, call plays. I know everybody kind of has a, good play caller that we have up this high on the list, but that's an incredible part of being a head coach, like being able to call the plays, not necessarily all the time, but in key situations um, and kind of building the schemes that the teams are built around. Um, I think Sean McDermott is an incredible part and a very substantial part of what brought the bills to be where they are today it wasn't that long ago where nobody talked about the bills because they were one of the worst teams in the league. Now, you know, Sean McDermott has Josh Allen's transformation on his resume. The defense is yeah. always, you know, pretty good above average, but what about you? Who do you have at five? Um, so my five, uh, and we're kind of getting into that space that we're kind of 
going to kind of just have the same guys, just kind of a different order. So um, my five is Matt LaFleur, who I think probably might be one of the more underrated coaches. I could easily see people leaving him out of their 10. But Matt LaFleur has come into a super kind of complex situation where it was very clear that Aaron Rodgers was not getting along with Mike McCarthy. He stabilized that. He gets a ton out of the run game. He runs this Kyle Shanahan-style offense, but he still allows Aaron Rodgers to incorporate what he does well. Um, he, I mean, I don't think – obviously, some of this is on the player as well, but he's led Devontae Adams into the being the ideal wide receiver in the league. Um, he's been able to take some secondary pieces, um, you know, Valdez Scantling, other players like that, Robert Tunyon, people that sound like made up NFL players on Madden and lifted them to good players. Um, I think, you know, in two years as a coach and he's gone to the NFC championship both years. Um, I think, I think that means something. And I think that he does a really good job of kind of, he doesn't chase points per se, which is a phrase we use a lot where like basically teams go for it when they shouldn't be going for it and then don't go for it when they don't need to, or do go for it when they don't need to. Um, you know, he does a lot of really good things um, as far as the metrics go. And I think he's a good indecision in-game decision maker. So I've got LaFleur in my top five. So that I don't, I don't really know how much I believe in Matt LaFleur. Like, I, I know that there's, I don't know, like, it's kind of the Bill Belichick thing, right? Where it's like, oh, well, you have Tom Brady. How good of a, uh, a coach can you really be? Like, he has one of the top, like, all-time talents at quarterback that he just kind of walked into. And it's a pretty solid roster all around. I, I would say that that's a little high for me. I don't necessarily have him in my top 10, uh, but I can see why you made the case that he should be. Yeah, I guess for me, before LaFleur, that Packers roster was more of a 9-10 to 10 win, win team each time. I mean, we saw the Bears win the champ, uh, the division a couple of years ago, um, and he's taken that and elevated it to a perennial Super Bowl favorite. And, I, you know, I think, I think that means something. Um, but for sure, yeah, I, again, it, it could be just the recency of just the last two years for sure impacted me. Um, so my four, you just brought him up and I'll just kind of double down. Sean McDermott is my number four. Um, you know, McDermott, I think one of the things that he does best is that he takes what he's a deep, more of a defensive mind, but that roster on defense is kind of built the smart way. It's built from the back up. Uh, most of their talent is in the secondary. Um, but he's done a really good job of having some of his younger play callers, um, signal callers on defense, the linebacking core. He's made it a lot. He simplified it for them. And also, um, I think he does a really good job in the run pass mix. Um, you know, their offensive coordinator got some looks for head coaching gigs, but um, they're one of the least run heavy teams in the league. And I think I admire that, especially considering what they did with Josh Allen this year. Um, McDermott, I have coming in at number four. So I would, I would agree. I mean, I kind of said him a little bit earlier. He's my number five, but I think that their run game is 
I wouldn't say it's like super efficient, but it's effective. If that makes any sense, it, it's not super efficient. But well, yeah, you've when they got, do run you the factor ball, into what Allen can do in the run game, and I, I think that's part of it. Is you know he's yes he's different than yes. um, than you know like a Lamar Jackson in the run game, but he's still an effective runner. Yeah, he he's almost like and this, you know, might turn some heads, but I I think that he's kind of like like an Andrew Luck in that sense of he's like a big quarterback that isn't afraid to run the ball. And you can kind of count on in those third and short situations where, you know, if you don't have a a spy linebacker on him, he'll run for 30. Like that's just the type of player he is. But my number four is John Harbaugh for the Ravens. Um, And he's kind of done a lot of things to put himself high on my list, but most notably he won a Super Bowl with Joe Flacco. That's, you know, that's a pretty big accomplishment in my book. Uh, He also has built and schemed up an entire offense around kind of a unique quarterback. Like he's Lamar Jackson is not really like a Michael Vick in the sense of his ability to throw the ball, because I think Vick could throw the ball a little bit better, but he's much better at running the ball. than than Michael Vick was. And he's transformed that offense into playing around again, like we talked about earlier, uh, his player strengths. He's got a good run game. They've got a good offensive line and their quarterback is a good runner as well. And he makes sure that that's known throughout the game. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, I have Harbaugh coming in at third for me, but completely agree. Um, The ability to recognize the NFL is headed in one direction and him taking a completely unique player to Lamar Jackson, molding the the offense around them and going and getting um, Greg Roman from San Francisco when he was working with Kaepernick and incorporating that into the offense. I think that's part of what makes him a great leader. And that's, and that's really what the coaches are is that they're leaders and him being willing to, you know, acknowledge things need to change and, getting out from underneath the Joe Flacco contract and going in a completely separate way. It, I mean, it took some, it took some courage to draft Lamar when Flacco was still under contract and was the Super Bowl winning guy, um, you know, and yeah, obviously he won a Super Bowl with Flacco and the Ravens defense is always good. Like you can just count on it. And, you know, I especially love that Harbaugh comes from the special teams side of things, whereas he's, you know, one of the only coaches that's not an offense or defensive guy. So yeah, John Harbaugh can't say enough good things about him. Yeah, exactly. And so this is where you said John Harbaugh was your three. Yep. I have Mike Tomlin as my three. And yeah, and I, I can't argue with that. I mean, I, I think that that's completely fair. He He's just like everything that he's done over his tenure with the Steelers has been like, oh, I don't know another coach that would have been able to do that besides the two guys that are above him. Like, Oh, he managed uh, Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, Juju, and Big Ben. They were all on the same team at the same time. Um, wow, I don't know anybody that could have done that except for the two guys that are above him. Like, and he won eight games with Duck Hodges at quarterback. It's like, I, who else can do that? Nobody can do that. And, you know, he's the ultimate player's coach. I don't really know how much of an effect he has on the actual game. Um, part of that is because I hate the Steelers and I try not to watch them as much as I can. Um, but I know his defenses are incredibly good every single year. And anytime they need somebody, they go, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick is up for trade. Yeah, I'll take him. And he's just going to complete this defense. Steven Nelson 
they added him and he played really well for them as not a great player. So he, again, recognizes the talent on his roster, puts his players in a position to win. Full stop. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, there's not enough. There's not enough good things you can say about Tomlin. Um, so let's just go ahead and say, uh, who did you end up having as one? And then we'll de- by default know who your two is. Did you end up putting Andy Reid at one or Bill Belichick? I put Bill Belichick at one. And as did I, as did I. Okay. All right. I, in pre- preparation for this, I went and looked at two websites um, that both had Andy Reid at one. Um, here, here's what I'll say. I'll give my little two cents about why um, I'm not quite ready to put Andy Reid above Bill Belichick. And it might not be for the reasons that you might think. Um, I know that Bill Belichick's hand is very full of rings. And I know that he coaches a very different style than Andy Reid does. But ultimately, the reason why I'm not quite ready to put Andy Reid where Bill Belichick is as the number one coach in the NFL simply because there are still times that I feel like there are just games where Andy Reid as a scheme does not have it. Um, It's maybe once or twice a year. It's much less now that we have Mahomes. But um, there are just games that Andy Reid just seems to be out-schemed from the beginning and is always chasing. And that, that doesn't seem to happen as much with Bill Belichick. I'm not sure I've seen that before. I have seen his defenses get worked. Obviously, the Nick Foles Super Bowl comes to mind, some of the matchups they've had on the Chiefs. But there are some times that Andy Reid just seems to be kind of like whatever he had in mind did not work, and it never did work. And lastly, again, this isn't trying to be hyperbolic or hot take, but, I mean, Andy Reid has the – the being loyal to a fault to people in his life. You can't look at the 2018 Chiefs season where they were, you know, a snap away from going to the Super Bowl and look at that and say that part of that wasn't on Andy Reid. Everyone in Kansas City knew in 2017 that Bob Sutton should have been fired, but they went with him for a whole nother season and wasted a year of Patrick Mahomes' rookie contract. Now, was it a waste? No, I mean, he went for 5,050 and they were a snap away from the Super Bowl, but also, I think we all can agree that it wouldn't have taken much more to get them over the top. And if they go to that Super Bowl, the Rams offense had stalled out at that point. I have, it was not going to be 54 50 like it was in that week nine matchup. I have no doubt that if Bob Sutton is not the chiefs coordinator in 2018, they would have won the Super Bowl that year. And I know that there's a lot of ifs in that situation, but for reasons like that, and I'm not even going to get into the Britt Reed situation where he was loyal to another person that he probably should not have been as loyal to, um, yeah. you know, yeah. Bill Belichick doesn't have those things. And who knows, Bill Belichick's son might do something stupid. I mean, I know his son's on his staff too. So maybe, maybe I'm being naive and calling out nepotism when it doesn't exist. But at this point, Bill Belichick, we're talking about the difference between one and two here. We're not talking about Andy Reid being 10. We're talking about the two best coaches in the NFL. And by the way, if Bill Belichick comes out and struggles after spending buku bucks and free agency, getting Mac Jones, continuing to hype up Cam Newton like it's 2015, if they come out and struggle, I'm ready to move Andy to one. I really am. Um, we're talking about a very thin margin between these two coaches. Oh, yeah. And you know, I, you made a lot of really good points there. And I think partially we might just be victims of like, we've seen too much. Like we're so, you know, we're homers, we're chiefs homers. We, we try to be as 
you know, objective as we can about these things, but our hearts will always be with the Chiefs. And, and when you see, you know, being so invested, you see Bob Sutton is not a good defensive coordinator and he still has his job. And the whole Britt Reed thing, we can talk about that, you know, and other things as well that have gone on in the past where you go, I don't know if I would have done that the same way. I think nobody sees it the same way. Um, and Andy is a really, really good coach, but, but Bill Belichick, I mean, like his, his understanding of, I, I don't even know really how to phrase this, but like Andy Reid is an offensive coach, right? And Bill Belichick is a defensive coach. I think that Bill Belichick's understanding of the defensive side of the ball is maybe a little bit stronger than Andy's knowledge of the offensive side of the ball. And that's, that's kind of where it came down to for me. Um, and we can get into the whole GM, like cutting a player a year before they are trading a player, letting him go a year before he, you know, his clock runs out. Um, we can get into that too, but which I think Bill Belichick is much better at that as well. But like you said, I think that comes down to loyalty. I think that Terrell Owens should have been not on the team for as long as he was whenever Andy was his head coach and Bill Belichick would have gotten rid of that problem a year before it happened. Like, that, that to me is just the, the differentiating factors between the two. Yeah, I agree. And I, I do think, you know, it's hard not to get the talent evaluator side of that with Bill Belichick, you know, always kind of walking away from a player a year early and doing the right thing there. But I mean, the full body of work when it comes to Bill Belichick, the amount of deep, the way that you can guarantee that Belichick is going to destroy a rookie quarterback it's it's hard not to put him up there the playoff success all of it um but so overall i'll just run down my list one more time just for the sake of it and then you can do the same bill belichick at one andy reed at two john harbaugh at three sean mcdermott at four matt lafleur at five sean payton at six mike tomlin at seven bruce arians at eight sean mcfay at nine kyle shanahan at ten and mine were bill belichick one andy reed two mike tomlin three John Harbaugh, four, Sean McDermott, five, Sean McVay, six, Kyle Shanahan, seven, Kevin Stefanski, eight, Sean Payton, nine, and Arthur Smith at number 10. So I think our biggest disagreements are um, Matt LaFleur, Sean Payton, Mike Tomlin, and Arthur Smith. Yeah, yeah. And and part of me is just going out on a limb with Arthur Smith, but uh, – you know, that's just what my gut says. And, you gotta, and sometimes you, you got to follow it. Yeah, you can't call your shot until, you know, you put your name out there on it. So we're good. That's You're right. all in on the Arthur Smith. Um, okay, let's check in with um, the NBA Finals, Bucks versus Suns. Your quick take. What do you think happens in this series? And what do you think is a huge factor going into it? So I think this kind of goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. Giannis's health is the number one thing here. Giannis is healthy. I think the Bucks win in six. If isn't healthy and doesn't come back or comes back and is less than about 80% of what he normally is. I think Phoenix Phoenix wins in six. And I don't think Giannis is going to come back until about game three. So I'm kind of giving two immediately to Phoenix. Maybe they can split it. Anyway, what about you? So I think as it is with almost all Bucks games and the thing that the Hawks could not do, it's going to come down to the paint. Um, if the Suns can control the paint and, DeAndre Ayton has been probably the best player in the NBA playoffs. His efficiency has been insane while maintaining pretty decent defense. Um, he's been flawless 
this NBA playoffs and really between him and Giannis and Jokic really kind of been a revitalization of the big man. But if the sun, I think two things, if the sun can control the paint with Brooke Lopez and, you know, depending on Giannis's health, that puts it all on Middleton and holiday to do the shooting, which I think that they're good shooters, but I don't think that they have the guys to just keep firing and keep firing and um, be, be those guys who can just keep putting up threes and keep making them. We've seen them have their off nights from shooting and that will happen. Their bread and butter is taking is in the paint with Giannis Lopez and some of those other players. And then the other thing is, is I think Chris Paul had the best playoff game of his career to clinch the uh, Western conference finals. If that's the Chris Paul that, and that's more the Chris Paul that was playing during the season. He finally was making those shots that he hadn't been making forever. I mean, you know he's going to be money from the free throw line. But if if the Suns get that Chris Paul in the item that they've been having, and Devin Booker is kind of just a wild card, I I don't I see I I just don't see the Bucks having an answer for that. Um, you know, I think there were teams in the in the finals that had an answer for that, but I don't think that the Bucks do defensively. So um, I'm I think I'm going to go Suns and five because I think six and seven is always a little weak. I'm going to be a little edgy and say sons and five. Um, Oof. I'm that's, that's a shot I'm calling. I think that they, I think that they just, I think if they can control the paint, I think, I think it's a series. So, so I agree with you there. Control of the paint most of the time really determines, you know, what team wins in the first place, unless you are the golden state warriors of old, and you're shooting 45 or 50% from three the entire game. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'd like to get your opinion on a few of these things. So did you listen to Charles Barkley, the TNT staff? Did you hear what he said at all? Um, I'm not entirely sure what you're referencing. Uh, you want to elaborate on a little yeah, bit? Yeah. I, 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 I love that broadcast. I mean, they, that is some of the best television in sports. It truly is that broadcast. Oh, yeah. Ken, Kenny, Shaq the whole the whole nine they're they're incredible I love all of them um but so Charles Barkley the other day said that Giannis getting injured was the best thing that could happen to the Bucks because J. Rue Holiday and Chris Middleton now are kind of forced to be the number one number two even though they're not really one and number two and and Chris Middleton had or J. Rue Holiday I'm sorry had a really really good game uh the game Giannis was out uh, but that's kind of where he based that was, you know, Holiday getting an increase in volume of shots and being that player. Giannis, I mean, does that make any sense to you at all? Because I couldn't get yeah, a handle I, on that. So I, I think one of the things is there was some confusion whenever Holiday was traded for by the Bucks because he didn't really necessarily fit their scheme. They have made it work. It was kind of a little bit not not to the level of uh, strength, but when KD was added to the Warriors offense of kind of how was this going to work um, as far as ball movement goes. And I think that, you know, the out of context breakdown plays that holiday makes, you can't argue. I mean, there was people who also argued that Chris Paul getting hurt was the best thing for the Suns. Um, I, you know, I, I can understand where that's coming from, but ultimately whenever it comes down to, especially the playoffs, you want, as many different ways to win, you know, Giannis having him on the floor gives the Bucks something that very few teams have. And 
while I do understand the thinking of those type of things in a perfect world, you would just have it be kind of like a car gear shift where you can just put it in like, Oh, we're going into three point shoot from the perimeter mode with Middleton and holiday and Oprah, we're going to put it in this gear. And now we're going to drive in the paint, but basketball doesn't work like that. There's personalities, there's scheme, there's injuries, there's rotations. Um, so, you know, obviously he knows more about basketball than I do, but I think, I think it's kind of silly to argue that, Giannis being hurt makes the Bucks better, but I think it's yes, possible yeah. that I, I think it's a little bit of the rally around the quarterback backup quarterback philosophy too. a little bit. You saw the Hawks uh, strengthen up and win that one game with um, Trey young out. I think in some ways it might've been a big wake up call for the Bucks as far as a team, but in a game of seven against a Western conference final winner and a team like Phoenix, I don't see that being an advantage. See, and, and that's kind of where I'm at as well. Um, I know one of the other points that he made was Brooke Lopez not being forced to play outside. He can be kind of the low post scorer that he is and, and really was. He was really, really good for a long time. Um, what was his nickname? Brooklyn Brook? <laughs> yeah. Uh, in Whenever he played for the Nets and he would ball out low post scorer. And he's kind of been forced to play outside, not really because – that's where he excels, but because it's something he can do. And, you know, you really want to play to your player's strengths. I think that Brooke Lopez does get better when Giannis isn't on the floor, but you can do that with a rotation. Like, I don't, I don't think it requires uh, Giannis being injured for Brooke Lopez to play up to what he used to be. Now I'll also say you said sons in five, right? Yeah. So let's just say Giannis comes back. Are you, are you saying that because Giannis isn't going to come back a hundred percent or are you saying even if Giannis comes back, sons and five? Um, I, I don't, here's the thing. I don't see a situation that Giannis comes back and is fully 100%. I just think that that's kind of obvious at this point. I think there's a chance he comes back, but I don't think he's coming back and looking like the player that he was. So I'll stick with sons and five, regardless of Giannis's health, as far as, whether he plays all seven games or if he plays zero games. Okay. All right. Well, I just, I just want to make sure, clarify that yeah. because I oh, think I'm that gonna, to be honest, Oh, go ahead. Throw it down on the table. I'm just going to be bold and say that and hope I'm right. I don't want to put any <laughs> parameters on it. That way, if he does play seven games and comes out and looks amazing, be like, well, I mean, I had no idea he's going to play seven games. There you go. That's my Arthur Smith right there. There you go. Yeah. Um, right. Last, <laughs> last thing as we leave uh, both big Madden fans. Um, I'm sure you've seen some of the home field advantage features that were added to Madden as one of their new features. Um, we just wanted to take a few minutes to talk about how awful these are and some of the most ridiculous ones that we've seen that make absolutely zero sense. So first off, my opinion is they should have not given a home field advantage to every single team because that's not how it works. Home field advantage does not exist for every team. And they should have used home field advantage for away teams. What I mean is teams that have particularly hostile fan bases, if that team is doing poorly, the fans should turn on them like it happens, right? Like in Philadelphia, like for instance, here we go. The Eagles linked in while winning, the home team gains more momentum and the away team gains less. Wow. Groundbreaking stuff, <laughs> EA. What it should be is, Philadelphia Eagles snowballed in. If team is losing by more than double digits, 
the away team starts cheering or the audience starts cheering for the away team and might throw items at the team. Genius. Could you imagine how fun that would be like to like play as the, like you would go with your buddy and make the Eagles lose by double digits just to see like hot dog wrappers get thrown <laughs> at players. No, it, it's so funny that you say that because uh, wasn't it the Chiefs the last time the Chiefs played the Eagles? There was some beer thrown on Mitchell Schwartz. Is that, is that, am I, I remembering sure. that correctly? I, I don't think it was the Eagles because the, the Chiefs have not played because the last time the Chiefs and Eagles played, it was at home. Um, it was like Kareem Hunt's like second or third game that he like broke oh, out yes. and had a huge big run. Yes, that's and then right. Andy Reid hasn't been to Philadelphia since like Chip Kelly era. That's like, right. Uh, Eagles. But yeah, I mean, let's see some of the other ones that are awful here. I mean, and some, see, of, these, some of these make sense. Well, and I don't know how these are going to work, like the momentum, how it will actually affect. I'll be a little nerdy here. I don't know how it's going to affect the gameplay, but like the Baltimore Ravens, the home team gains the momentum on every running play while winning. Like that to me sounds ridiculous. Like, no, that's that sounds like they just don't. They just admit Lamar Jackson can't throw the ball. (laughs) That's what that sounds like to me. Trust this. What even is that big trust? Like what big trust? I need someone to explain it to me. I know Mark Ingram said it like two years ago, back when people thought the Ravens were going to win something, but like what I I need to understand what big trust is. Is it big trust, big trust in your quarterback. Okay. So it's trust. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't know if it was, if it was a thing, if it was a feeling, if it was like a, like a t-shirt i just i didn't know he, well okay. i think it's like swag i think it can mean whatever you want it to mean okay it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of yeah, like it's, how you use it in the context yeah 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 oh here's some, here's here's some good ones um the new york jets their home field advantage is called turf war away teams players fatigue faster why like why like that, that one makes yeah. zero sense to me. Like that should be another one where like the jets and the giants, the fan base just leaves early. Like, like, Oh, they're going to catch the, the subway. Cause you guys are being bad. You guys are awful. Let's see. Well, What's it, another. Does reason? it kind of feel, does it kind of feel to you? Like they did the best players. Like everybody's going to play the chiefs. We'll have a really good chiefs one. Everybody's going to well, play mean, like, and then they got down to like the chargers and you know, the jets and the Texans are like, no, he's going to play these teams. What, what, whatever, throw something out there. Yeah. I mean, like there was teams that it just made sense. Like the Broncos, the away team fatigues faster. Yeah. That's the mile high advantage. Everyone knows that. That's yeah. disgusting yeah. at nauseum every time a team plays there or like some people thought the bears was um, trolling because of the Cairo or that wasn't Cairo Santos, the bad kick that happened, the double doink that they had. Cody Parkey. Cody Parkey. Yes. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's always habitually windy in Soldier Field. Like that's, that's a thing. It's called the Windy City. I was so about if you to wanted, say that. Yeah. 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 If the Bears, theirs is the away team's kick meter moves slightly faster. That's fine. That makes sense. The Tennessee Titans tighten up. Home team will avoid committing holding penalties. Why? Like that makes no sense. Taylor Luan holds like once a game. That's like a like a god given. Whenever the, whenever the Titans play, that makes zero sense. I just they should have given this to a couple of teams, made some of them more fun, because that's part of what Madden needs too. I mean, look, it doesn't have to be like Grand Theft Auto where like you can type in a cheat code and like ride a helicopter or something, but like Madden needs to be a little bit more fun. It takes itself a little too serious. That would have been hilarious if like the Eagles fans would have thrown stuff at each other. 
Oh yeah, and more realistic. If you, they talk about realism every year. That's more realistic than anything. Yeah, so, I did. I did see, and one feature I don't want to just completely. First off, we will bagging on Madden and then giving sixty-five of our hard-earned dollars to EA is a tradition unlike any other because we'll all do it, and then I'll like see some like see the rookies in their jerseys and be like, oh, you know. It would be kind of cool to like play as Trevor Lawrence and see how he looks on the field. And before I know it, I've already bought it. So they've already got us. So they're the real ones. They're counting their dollars and laughing at us. But I did see one feature that I did like. They're adding a coaching tree element to the Madden franchise mode, which is definitely, you know, the mode that I play the most for Madden. Yeah. Where basically head coaches, um, they gain more experience and have the coordinators have bigger impacts on the game plan and stuff like that. And they're also kind of adjusting the game plan mode. So whereas before, pretty much the game plan was this. Any team you play that has a star player, the game plan is stop that star player. So if you play if you play the Rams, the game plan is, how are we going to stop Aaron Donald? But now they're going to try to talk a little bit more of like, oh, well, the Rams run this run-orientated scheme off of play action. Maybe we should work on, you know, like holding at the line of scrimmage or something like that. So... I think hopefully I'm cautiously optimistic about that. Oh yeah. I think that there's, I mean, I really hope that that like changes something about the game. Right. Because it seems like every year franchise mode is kind of the, you know, push to the back and ultimate team, the pay to play uh, aspect of the game is, is always like, Oh, here's some new graphics on the cards or, you know, we're going to add some new challenges. There's all this fun new stuff. And then, franchise gets pushed to the back but I, I really hope that being able to you know change your defensive and offensive coordinators and like control the head coach and, and all that stuff I hope that adds maybe an aspect to franchise that we haven't seen yet which is one of my favorite modes to play as well yeah for sure and I mean I think they're the other thing I saw is that they're trying to add in um, more of the uh, next gen stats using like real sprint speed and stuff like that. Um, I think that'll be good. All right. As we're heading out here, I uh, just wanted to talk about, we were just talking about it. Shams just tweeted 12 minutes ago that Giannis is listed as doubtful for game one of the Bucks and Suns. Go figure. Suns and five. Mm, Bucks and six or Suns and six. I'm hedging my bets. I just wanted to be Suns and four so that one dude doesn't get his ass kicked again. <laughs> Uh, no, I'd like to see that happen again. Actually, it was enjoyable hey, to watch the first time. Did you see Darren Rovell tweet out that he yeah. signed his first yeah. autograph? I, I like all the pictures that people take with him while they're at the stadium. They're like, it's the Suns and Four guy. Like, it's that's just hilarious to me. Well, he's gonna have his five minutes, and that's about it. But oh, yeah. all right, guys. Well, we appreciate you. Um, hopefully, you enjoy listening to the podcast. Have a fun, safe week, and we'll be back next week. Yep. See you later, guys.